I'm Caleb Benjamin, intern at Lawfare. Today on Lawfare No Bull, on November 3rd, in a hearing in Fulton County, Judge Scott McAfee heard arguments on motions from the Georgia Secretary of State, the Fulton County Superior Court Clerk, and the Fulton County Board of Registration and Elections to quash defendant Harrison Floyd's subpoenas for access to elections data from the 2020 election. During the hearing, Floyd's counsel withdrew its subpoena of the Board of Elections, and Judge McAfee asked the Secretary of State and Superior Court Clerk for more details on the burden these subpoenas would create and how to protect potential personal identifying information. All right, we are on the record with 23 SC 188947 State versus Harrison Floyd. And we had scheduled for this morning, we'd received three motions uh, to quash subpoenas uh, apparently issued by uh, Mr. Floyd and his counsel. So why don't we have counsel come on up for uh, Mr. Floyd and we can start there. Where do you want us to sit, Your Honor? That's a great question. Uh, since there may be more on the other side needing the two tables, why don't we put you over there? Yes, sir. And let's get it on the record who we have here for Mr. Floyd today. Good morning, Your Honor. I'm Christopher Kachuroff for Harrison Floyd. And you mind spelling that last name for the record for us? Sure, yes. K-A-C-H-O-U-R-O-F-F. Kachuroff. All right. Todd A. Harding. Mr. Harding. Okay. And have y'all received express permission uh, to waive your from your client to waive his presence in today's hearing? Yes, Your Honor. Okay. And then let's start with we had the motion to quash from the Secretary of State's office, which I believe that was filed by Mr. Sharman. Yes, Your Honor. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Uh, why don't we, uh, we'll start with that one. So if, if you want to come up and take a seat and then again, just for the record, we can go ahead and identify who else we have here. So on behalf of the, and it might be the same council here on behalf of the Fulton County board of registration and elections and behalf on, on behalf of the Spear uh, court clerk of Fulton County, who do we have? Okay, great. Um, I wonder if it's just the two of y'all, maybe we could find another chair and have everyone just up at once. Great. Okay. One there, however we want to We can move down. Here. Move them around. I'll let y'all arm wrestle over it. All right. So as everyone's getting situated here, I think it would probably make the most sense to divide these up. And, you know, I'm sure the arguments would overlap to some extent, but since the requests differ a little bit, uh, why don't we start with uh, the Secretary of State's uh, motion and the subpoena there. And so, um, Mr. Sharman, I'll, I'll let you, if you want to just kind of kick it off and say some preliminary remarks, but obviously I've read your, your motion and, uh, and we can dig into it a little deeper, but I'll let you have the floor for, uh, for a thank, bit here. Thank you, Your Honor. Again, Jack Sharman for the uh, Office of the Secretary of uh, state, and I'm joined by my colleague, Amobi Inyenya, and General Counsel Charlie McGowan. Uh, Your Honor, um, all the important points are in our papers. I just might want to uh, emphasize basically where we are. There were two specific categories going to State Farm Arena and the poll worker uh, at issue there. We produced that. There was another category. We said we don't have responsive documents. The remainder of the request essentially asked for um, everything uh, about the 2020 election, and it's both uh, uh, unspecific, mostly not relevant, uh, and 
super burdensome on the office. On the relevance point, Your Honor, um, uh, little if anything that are in these documents are actually relevant to intent because as the court knows, uh, intent state of mind is addressed uh, as of the moment of the act that gives rise to the alleged uh, wrong. It's not, it's not retroactive. So obviously the, the example being um, um, uh, homicide and self-defense, what matters is what's in the actor's head at the moment the trigger is pulled, not later when he or she may learn that uh, the, the, the person they shot uh, had a knife, had some mental illness that was otherwise um, a danger. Also, uh, uh, Mr. Floyd uh, uh, points to the scope of the indictment uh, that he faces as a factor for our response, but the scope of the indictment doesn't govern the scope of the, uh, uh, the, the uh, subpoena's office. And then finally, the, the papers somewhat conflate us with the district attorney's office. Uh, we're a state agency, but obviously we're not the district attorney's office and considerations of things like exculpatory uh, evidence, uh, Brady and that kind of thing just, just don't apply. Other than that, I'm happy to answer the court's questions or, or uh, go sit down. Well, uh, yeah, I appreciate that. Well, we have a lot to unpack. Okay. Uh, why don't we start with, just so I can help get the lay of the land here, uh, you know, I know that the Secretary of State's office is responding on a daily basis to open records requests, right? Yes, sir. And so, and I, and I think you have a team just solely employed to do these kind of things. A, a team may be an exaggeration, oh. but 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 they're they're people. individuals. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. So, are, are these the kind of things that I would imagine have already been requested over the past couple of years? And and if so, how have you responded to those as open records requests? Um, actually, some are. For example, the uh, uh, the State Farm Arena materials that we produced would actually produce to all all sorts of people, and were actually uh, even uh, public. Um, but for most of these other matters, actually, Your Honor, nobody has asked for uh, these in this kind of in this kind of scope. Uh, either defendants in this case, the, um, uh, the 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 grand jury productions, the congressional January sixth committee, the Jack Smith DOJ special counsel. Nobody has had this kind of uh, scope, and I and I think for uh, for good reason because it's not uh, actually. Uh, uh, relevant to the uh, uh, to to indicted or or potentially to be indicted offenses. So the short answer is actually for most of this, no, sir, we haven't. And also, a lot of this seeks uh, open investigations, which the office does not normally uh, produce, and which requesting parties, being cognizant of that, uh, have not asked for. So I certainly recognize that there might be still pending matters and open investigations and that sort of thing. But if Essentially, I see almost like request seven in kind of the revised subpoena they gave you by letter about any and all complaints or reports, um, and then everything else kind of nesting under that because it's talking about then all the audio recordings and all the videos that may be associated with those reports. Mm -hmm. So um, if someone, and I think then you indicate that you've had over 200 of these such kind of complaints and, and that sort of thing. So if someone filed an open record request wanting all 200 of those what would be the office's response? Uh, that uh, we would respond to that request in, in due course, um, uh, cognizant of things like investigatory 
privilege, which I realize other agencies may not assert, uh, but that it's generally our practice to to uh, take the position that something that's an, still an open investigation, even if it's quite far down the road, um, is 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 uh, is is not something that we should produce. So the practical effect would be um, it would certainly consider that, but much of that would actually probably not be produced. Under the uh, claim of privilege, yes, sir. As okay. a, as a as, because it's an open investigation, e even if it's been referred, if it's not, if it hasn't been adjudicated and determined, uh, we, we would still take the position historically that those are open. But as of today, you haven't gone through and and say just kind of preliminarily looked at the two hundred one by one and said this one's still pending, this one isn't, this one, and determined whether you think a privilege applies. Uh, we have not uh, done that kind of case-by-case case privilege analysis. No, sir, I don't okay. think, I'm, I'm looking to Ms. McGowan, but I don't believe we have, okay. And any, I, I know you say that it would take you know, months to do this sort of thing. Have you, like, just a back of the napkin kind of preliminarily decided, thought that if, if you could, they gave you a blank check and you could fill it in for whatever it would cost. Have you have any idea what that would look like? Um, candidly, sir, I, 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 I don't, it would be a lot, especially in, in, in the balancing of the relevance of these materials to the matters for which Mr. Floyd is indicted. I, we, we understand that his theory of trial is the defense theory of trial is going to be to, to, to essentially litigate the 2020 election, but that defense theory doesn't overcome the, the, the burden to the office, especially when what the office has is going to be a very limited relevance to what he is actually defending. So uh, the kind of the two roads to go down there are, you know, one, I would think, can there be a distinction at this phase about what might come in at trial? You know, we have to do a whole motion and limine and relevance analysis and 403 and that sort of thing when we get to the trial point. But right now we're in that pretrial phase where he might be looking for things that lead to other evidence that may be or may not be admissible. And so I, I wonder if um, just simply saying at this phase, well, it's probably not going to be relevant is going to defeat this because sometimes there's a chain, uh, the a thread you have to pull on. There is, there is a thread, and, and again, it goes back to that, that balance. The court's certainly correct that, I mean, discovery, obviously, uh, uh, generally, is, is broader than potential actual trial, uh, you know, admissibility, ab absolutely. So, but, so that, and that's what, that's what I'm focusing on. So, and I, and I, and I get that the, the actual substantive counts, like 30 and 31, where it's talking about the um, actions alleged against Ms. Freeman, the intent at the time or the actions that might not play directly into what's being asked here, but count one under RICO is charging a criminal enterprise. Uh, the objective of which is to overturn the election. And if that is the scope, um, how, how is the election not relevant? The election is obviously relevant for trial. It is, it is driving the subpoena request, but um, you know, I, 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 I would not agree that the scope of the indictment drives the scope of the subpoena response. In other words, if, if that were true, certainly then in any RICO case, there would be, there would be 
not a lot of limits to to the discovery, whether by subpoena or through a, a party that that uh, an actual party that one could get. Um, and in that in that regard, because um, the Secretary of State's office is not the district attorney's office, where 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 perhaps the district attorney's office might be discovery wise hoist on its own petard, given its theories. That's not that's not us. This is a straight old fashioned subpoena response burden relevance inquiry. So and I and I guess that's where um relevance is, is a pretty low standard to clear. And so assuming they've cleared that, I'm wondering what scenario or what, you know, what we could come up with to say that this is they could lessen the burden on you. Is there any amount of money? That would lessen the burden. If they if they offer to give you enough money to hire the team that you may have always wanted to do this work for you, is that going to say that it's not a burden? Um, yeah, Yarna, I, I, in my experience, there's always some amount of money that will relieve burdens. Um, but I I think that um, again that will you know fulfill whatever instructions the court gives. But uh, I, I think you know two two things again. The relevance here, if the purpose is state of mind, if his intent, the documents we would produce, which he didn't know about, he didn't have, he didn't possess, are not going to have any effect on the, the determination of his intent at the time he allegedly uh, undertook the acts that are in the indictment. So I our take is at the end of the day, there's actually no relevance to this if in fact it's going to it's going to intent. And if that's the balancing, then the balance goes way, way in our favor. On that note, though, I think that if Mr. Floyd has specific cases like he did before, case numbers, case people, I mean we'll go we'll go look for them. Uh, that's a different matter, but that's a dramatic narrowing of what uh, what we have this morning. What if instead of say specific cases, like obviously, you know, he, he, he knew the case number, I think to the number of, of State Farm, but let's say out there and circulating at around the time of these alleged actions, they knew there were issues with, I, I, I don't know, the, the taping of the, or the sealing of the envelopes. And so instead of saying a specific case number, he just asked you for all investigations concerning sealing of envelopes, because that was a relevant issue out there at the time. Mm -hmm. Is that going to be, that's going to be more relevant and more, somewhat more narrowed, but it's still probably going to require you to go through all 200 of these things. I, I think your, the court puts his finger on kind of the essential problem is that you still have to go through a lot of it, but I think that would be, an example, Yana, going back to the intent argument that that if 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 the defendant is not aware of something at the moment he allegedly did the thing, then finding out about it later, it, absent extraordinary circumstances, is not going to affect the jury determination of his intent. And that an intent, state of mind, is the sort of the gravamen, the thrust of of their of their their papers. We need this because it's going to help us prove that Donald Trump won Georgia. If Donald Trump won Georgia, our criminal intent 
um, goes away. I believe, I believe they said instantly goes away. I, 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 with all respect, I think, I don't think that's the case. That's not the way intent in a criminal case is, is, is adjudicated. Okay. Well, let's bounce it over. Thank you. Uh, is it Mr. Katcheroff? Yes, Your Honor. Okay. So I think the, the strongest point here I'm trying to work through is if let's say there's some smoking gun locked away in a vault in the Secretary of State's office that Mr. Floyd had no idea it ever existed during the entire time frame of this alleged enterprise. How's that relevant? It's relevant because of two reasons. First, I understand my colleague about 30 counts 30 and 31. At the time, if Mr. He believed that Trump won and the state's saying no, Trump lost. But if at the time he believed that Trump won, and it turns out that we find evidence that Trump won, he may have been justified in what he did, but that's a tenuous uh, argument. I focused on count one for the concept of relevance because in that count, um, we have, as I pointed out in my papers, numerous references to the election being lost by Donald Trump. In fact, in the introduction, the state says that not only did Trump lose Georgia, but he and the other defendants charged refused to accept that Trump lost. Well, what happens if we show that Trump won? And all the, there's three things that could happen. Number one, if Trump won, there are no false statements. The indictment goes away. Number two, if we don't know who won, the state can't prove false statements, they go away. But if after looking at the evidence that we have here, and we determine that indeed Trump lost, it sets up the defense for a mistake of fact. The point about intent at the time, I understand that. That's not the only thing here. All of the acts of all the other co-conspirators are imputed to Mr. Floyd as a result of count one. That's a problem. That's broad. It's wide. And I want to point out. So just to be clear, you're saying if there hadn't been a RICO count here and it was just charged with counts 30 and 31, the actions towards Ms. Freeman, these subpoenas don't have a lot of relevance. No. I, I mean, they're not, better, they have a little bit of relevance, okay. but I mean, th I wouldn't be looking for the exact same things. And I want to just point two things up. Maybe I can clear up some um, of the burden here. Since we sent these subpoenas out, I don't need one and two. For the, from the secretary. I do I think need, they said they already turned that over, right? Well, they turned over a redacted copy that you can get off the internet. I want an unredacted. Okay. Um, and by the way, we're willing to enter into a protective order for all of this, just like we did with the GBI. The only thing I need from one and two is I need the name and the contact information of the person who put up the false uh, statement about Ruby Freeman, pretending to be Ruby Freeman and making a false statement on social media as though it were her. That goes to Mr. Floyd's mental intent at the time of the alleged conduct in counts 30 and 31. So that's the only thing I would need from one and two. And I can't make it any more narrow than that. You have to give me a little a background. So there's this um, Instagram post floating on the internet. And it looks like Miss Ruby wrote it. Confessing to saving the election and getting rid of Donald Trump. And according to the report, their investigation, they were able to track down someone who admitted to having posted that. Correct. And they said it was, yeah. it was an error. So I, I, I have a right to know who that is. They said it was an error, meaning they, not that they accidentally wrote something and posted, but they, that they, they meant it as a joke. Okay. Got it. They yelled fire in a crowded theater. Right. 
The second thing is I didn't ask for all 296 complaints. I asked for those that are relevant specifically to the election. I think they're including in that, according to the response, not only the election, but the primaries as well. So I don't need the primaries. We just want the November 3rd election complaints. Again, we're willing to enter into a protective order. We're officers of the court. We're subject to this court and your oversight. And the, the last thing I want to stress, Judge, I can't help that Jack Smith doesn't want these things. I can't help that other attorneys haven't thought to ask for these things. I know there's litigation going on right now with the Secretary of State with Fulton County, where they've refused to turn this stuff over in civil. I, I, I got all that. I don't care about that. Those aren't my cases. What is my case is uh, Harrison Floyd is looking at between eight and 33 years. That's his liberty interest. The courts take liberty interest very seriously. So that liberty interest overcomes any burden the state has to be set back by a month or two or three. And like I said, we're trying to be as reasonable and as flexible as we can, because I realize that it's, it's the scope of it. But we'll, we've already offered to pay, and we offer the protective order. So with that, if the judge, if you have any more questions about. Uh, let me bounce it back to Mr. Sharman. Uh, um, regardless of. which, you know, how we're able to narrow it, but whenever there's, whether it's a total quashing or it's narrowed or, or anything like that, is, uh, in your view, is either party going to have the right to a uh, appeal outside of an interlocutory? Do you know offhand? I don't, from the, from the court's disposition, sure. I don't, Your Honor, my instinct is that it would, it would have to be an interlocutory matter i think okay well I just, i'm just that's a side note but um let me go back to uh the first productions in the subpoena one and two about this instagram post um that was redacted uh was it under you know offhand the provision of why it would have been redacted i, I believe uh, if i if i understood uh counsel correctly that the redaction related to uh the result of an FBI investigation that is constituted that, that creates FBI material, so it's it's not in 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 that sense ours, and it would we would have to get the blessing of the FBI to release that. But they, you've got a copy of it now, and was there some kind of sharing agreement entered into between you and the FBI for them to give that to you? Uh, I believe, I mean, it was given, and again, I'm, forgive me, I'm looking at Ms. McGowan, but I believe it was given, provided on the, on, on the assumption that, that they, they retain ultimate disposition of it because it's their, it's their stuff. And it would, it would, it would, I think, put the office in a difficult position uh, if at a minimum we did not get their okay to give it, give it away. Uh, obviously, the court can order us to do what the court wishes, but that would be our kind of normal course. But right now, we're not sure exactly if that's why the specific portion was redacted or we are. Yeah. Okay. We have that information on load from the FBI. Um, the document that supports it is, is very clearly labeled that is FBI material that's not to be disseminated without their permission. Okay. And just for the court reporter, could we have your name for the record? Oh, sorry. I'm Charlene McGowan. I'm Charlene McGowan with the Secretary of State's office. Okay. And then uh, any thoughts in response to... The idea that the over 200 investigations slash reports you'd referred to, it might actually be lesser than that since they've narrowed it just to the general election. Uh, it, 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 
It, it could be, Your Honor, but I, I think it would still be a substantial portion. I mean, this would be a, a significant project. I mean, I'm 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 informed that it would this would be a five to six month kind of effort. Okay. Well, um, I, I feel at this point we've kind of honed in more on some of the core issues, and I I don't think I've got the full facts that I would need to make the balancing test and, and a decision today. I think I, I would need more from the Secretary of State's office before we can really decide exactly what is the harm here, what is whether it's oppressive, whether it's an undue burden, and, and obviously taking another look at, at um, exactly how it plays into count one. So uh, what I would propose is perhaps a supplemental motion to quash, uh, where we can address some of these issues and specifically i would like to see you know a, a more accurate uh estimate of all right knowing now what he'd followed up and requested in his october 13th follow-up um how many reports we're talking about you know how many people it would take to review those and look for privilege issues um whether you think a protective order would cover the privilege issues meaning you wouldn't have to be doing the redactions or privilege review maybe maybe not I don't, again you're going to know what's what's privileged and how it's privileged and whether a protective order would would cover that and basically again just if it's if, if you were going to bill them for it how much it would cost and how long it would take i think we need to know that before we can really know whether this is oppressive or unreasonable yes sir we can do that um how long do you think that would take you to come up with to do that submission yeah a week okay uh i know i i think the clerk's office may be closed on friday next week because of the of veterans day do you think we could do it by close of business on the ninth uh yes sir okay well let's do that and if we need to schedule another hearing we we, we can but i'm thinking based on that submission alone i'll be able to to do the analysis and and would the court want that just filed in like a normal submission i, th I think we ought to do it that way yes okay. Okay, thank you, sir. Thank you. And in the so in the meantime, I guess the subpoena just remains pending in its current form until we are able to initiate order on its viability. Um, so if there's anything else on this one, I guess, Mr. Sharman, you're free to take off if you want to, but and we'll just move on to the next one. Thank you. Honor. Okay, thank you, sir. Was there anything else you want to have on the record, Mr. Ketroff? Yes, I presume we're going to be able to respond to the brief if we deem it necessary. Sure. Um, okay, thank you. Sure. Uh, could you, how long would you need to respond? I might have a week. Okay, we'll do that then for the 16th. Thank you, Judge. All right. If we're still on the record, I would also, Mr. Sharman, sorry, I want to add as well, um, not only how a protective order would or would not cover these issues, but what you would want to see in a protective order. I know we've got one that, G that the GBI entered into, but maybe the Secretary of State's office, due to the unique circumstances of the data involved, would want something different or not. So uh, yeah, I think that would all fall under it. Okay, we'll move on then to the motions sent to the Superior Court Clerk and the Fulton County Board of Elections. And those appeared to be identical 
the subpoenas, right? Yes, Judge. Okay. So, again, if you want to kick it off and say anything in general, but I, I, just as a matter of housekeeping, I was, again, I, I kind of need some background here of, does only one of these entities have this information or do both? And, you know, is this duplicative? What, what are we dealing with So, here? Judge, at this point, only the Superior Court clerk would have the information requested, the Board of Registration and Elections. They are not tasked with housing that information. But for the record, the information sought, I believe, is under seal via 21500. Well, let me just divide and conquer here then. So why don't we just start with the, the Board of Elections one? Would your response then be to that subpoena request that the Board of Elections doesn't actually have any of that information anymore? Yes, Judge. That would okay. Have been my first. Um, so, Mr. Uh, Mr. Kacharoff, um, do you have any reason to believe that that's not the case? We withdraw based on that representation. We withdraw the subpoena. Okay. So we'll have that reflected on the record. So I guess withdrawn or quashed, whichever flavor you want, that one is gone. And... Um, so if anyone was here from the Board of Elections, <laughs> they get to leave a little earlier. Uh, but let's move on to the clerk. So um, you mentioned it's under seal, but just maybe, again, by way of background, I'm not familiar with a lot of the information requested or, or what it means. And so feel free to just walk me through it. Well, Judge, it, it is a lot of information requested. And the best way to sum it up is to state that the defendants are asking for everything as it pertains to the 2020 November election. And we're talking drives, servers, we're talking USB drives, SD cards, laptops, poll pads. Um, they even wanted information on every single person that made contact with any ballot marking device for the, for the uh, Fulton County election, which would be every vote in Fulton County. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people. If we're looking at producing ballots, we're looking at producing personal information. Would you say that they're like they're actually asking you to proactively go out and do things? It's not just that they're asking you to hand over things. Like if they're asking you for a list of individuals who, and that list doesn't exist, you don't have anything to give them, right? I'll have to double check exactly what format that list exists in, whether it exists in the format of a list of all registered voters versus a list of people who actually voted. But... I don't believe that'll be as much of a compilation in terms of getting each and every single name, but there would be some work that will go into it. Okay. And is, is there some of this that's already a part of the public record and has already been disclosed? Judge, the, the things that are part of the public record would be the information about whether or not the, uh, the election was certified. Everything else, no, Judge, it's not part of the public nothing, record. Nothing, and you've never gotten an, an open record request because it's all been sealed? N not only that, but because of the, the private information therein, the county would not be able to produce that information via open records and via 21.2.225, which says that original copies of ballot applications cannot be, sorry, vote applications cannot be uh, dispensed. Okay, except by order of the, of the except court. Except by order right? of the court. And by private information, you mean that you actually have the images that are tied to each individual voter name? Yes, judge name, date of birth, driver's licenses, in some cases, social security numbers. It's uh, okay. a lot. Very kind of similar question to the Secretary of State's office. Have you, have you done any kind of rough estimation of the amount of time or expense if, if they were to completely cover the bill of what this would require of you? No, Judge, but if we're talking about hundreds of thousands of documents, it's not, it's not going to be months or days or weeks. It will be a lot longer than that. Well, it, it, may, it may be months, Judge. Okay. All right. So month, possibly months. Not weeks or days. Yeah. No, I understood. Um, 
all right but assuming assuming we find some degree of relevance just based on the the rico count of a criminal enterprise um going to that next phase of privilege and 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 what you are able to turn over in response to a subpoena what are your concerns there the general privacy of the voters mm -hmm. that private information but judge can i make a comment on the relevance portion so based on mr floyd's argument he states that if he gets the information he can show what he thinks it would show and if that is the case then he's not guilty he says if it sh he doesn't get anything conclusive then he's not guilty he says that if he the information shows that he is incorrect then he's not guilty by way of mistaken fact judge according to the court of appeals relevant information is information that tends to show the guilt or innocence of the individual if mr floyd's position is that it does not matter what the evidence will show i'm still not guilty i don't see how it's relevant no, that's an interesting point uh i guess it does it, it would uh educate him in terms of which defense to go in what direction to go in someone would want to know whether they're going towards an accident or a self-defense and understood understood but when you look at the fact that the court has routinely said that discovery information is not constitutionally required to be handed over in a criminal case what we're asking the citizens to do is to, re to surrender a lot of personal information just so that mr floyd can have the luxury of choice so, so i agree with you that obviously the, that the amount of personal information is a, a, a big red flag for me I, I'm, I'm getting more in towards of the um the relevance issue and and i know that line i think you just referenced there about a general right to discovery it's uh, the the line of cases for that seem to be always directed against the state and be talking about due process and and not really so much about third-party subpoenas well judge if if we look at the if we look at the the whole notion of it being a third-party subpoena what we're doing is putting an onerous burden on, on a non-party which i think the threshold should be a lot higher it should be more of a of a a reason or, or an effort to, I guess, prevent third parties from having to go through all of these things if they're not a part of the case itself. And not to mention, Judge, as far as the mistaken fact is concerned, um, currently the elections, you know, by all official accounts have been decided. Um, there's no court that I know of that has invalidated those, those results. So Mr. Floyd is free to make his mistaken fact argument right now. I don't see why he would need to get this information to do that. All right, well, if there's nothing else, I'll, I'll turn it over and we can get back into it. Thank you, Judge. Just housekeeping matter, Your Honor. I went over these requests one more time with our expert because I wanted to cull that which I thought we don't need it, we shouldn't ask for it. Um, so there's a couple things we do not need. 5H. We do not need the image cast X. That's number one. Number two, we do not need request number 10, 11, or 12. We also do not need the 255 laptop computer images identified in 5K. Sorry to be going back and forth, but. So I think this is going to this would understandably i think raise some alarms that you're asking to have a copy of every single ballot in fulton county and you're going to be able to know everyone who lived in fulton county exactly how they voted 
That's not entirely correct. There's, okay. Correct me. So we're looking for our experts to review. They don't. The experts do not care who voted. That's not their their shtick. They're looking to see what the result actually was. You see, there's they have a major discrepancy. The reason why they don't want to turn it over is because I submit, Judge, that a lot of the stuff that we've asked for, they simply don't have, and they don't want to tell you at all, because for obvious reasons, it impacts the certification of the election itself. This court has authority as a superior court under 21-2-500 to unseal any records. And there is a pending case in this court, uh, jurisdiction, I believe, where those, there's a motion to unseal that has been filed. It's in this case. It's in this case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in this case. Uh, but I thought it was in another pending case as well. Well, it is, but. Okay. When you say other pending case, what do you mean? There's a civil case. The, the Raffensperger one that's referenced in your response? Not, not curling. That's a, that's a federal case. It's a uh, local case, but my colleague is. Favorito et al. versus Wynn et al., Your Honor. And do you know which docket that's in? Um, I believe Judge McBurney had it or has it. It's still open? Yes, sir. Okay. It just came back from the uh, Supreme Court and the Court of Appeals. All right. Well, before we get into that, I know the experts may, their focus may be wanting to simply focus on the results. But what I'm hearing though is that they still would be able to sit there and look at a name and look at the actual ballot that was cast. Is that right? We would never know. The only, only time you can identify the name might be the signature. You're looking at a signature match on the envelope versus the ballot itself. So, but I think they were saying it's driver's licenses. I don't want that stuff. I don't need, I don't need driver's licenses. I don't need names of, of uh, where they live. That's not the issue. The issue is but the count. Isn't, isn't that in here? I don't believe that I have. I'm asking for PI, what I call PII. Sure. I mean, you may not have specifically asked for it, but the documents that you requested sounds like it very well would contain that. Again, Judge, I think that can be cured by a protective order. As officers of the court, we have to follow that. We're subject to your sanction, if you will, if we break that. So I, I, I'm not, I don't see an issue with looking at ballots. We, you know, they're sealed right now, but they're going to be unsealed at some point. And somebody's going to be able to look at the ballots. But we're not, I know this is, may seem like a burden, but this, we're talking eight to 33 years of his life. Well, why, do, why do you say they'll be unsealed at some point? Like, I, I, I'm not familiar with just the general public being allowed to look at every ballot image. Well, I'm not saying it would be unsealed for the general public to look at, but they're sealed for a period of time under state law. And the implication is after that time, they're not sealed. They might be destroyed. Okay. But that's very different than someone unrelated and outside of government being able to look through Correct. them. Correct. Right. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So... Theoretically, though, if, if a protective order is, is a great thing, and we hope that, that they, they do what they need to do, but if we decide that this is just too sensitive of information and that each of these ballots needs, that is turned over you needs to have all PII redacted on the front end, um, that's going to increase the burden of the production, and that's one you're willing to cover. That's one we're willing to cover if, if that's absolutely required. I, I don't believe that it is. And in part, Judge, you have to know when we ask for ballot images, there's a reason for it. Why aren't we asking for the scanned images at the time? Because the metadata and the SHA files, that's the secured hash files, which verify and validate each ballot, are missing. And I'm not talking 10 or 11 or 12. 
out of the absentee ballots alone, I believe they're missing uh, at least 17,000 Shaw files. What that means is if you take an, an, an image of a ballot and one pixel is off, it won't match that Shaw file. It's .sha, secure hash authenticator. That SHA file authenticates that as the ballot that was cast on that data. It has timestamps, it has everything. Those things are missing rampantly throughout the stuff that I have seen from open records requests, which by the way, you brought that up. There's a lot of records that have been produced through the ORR. So I don't, I'm not quite sure why we're getting an objection to the entire thing. Um, I can understand not wanting to divulge PII. I don't want that divulged. I'm not interested in it. That's not my interest. My interest is the count. I don't know if the court wants me to address relevance, but I think- Let's, let, let's do it again, because that just does, uh, it is, I wanna make sure we're very clear on that and everyone has a chance to respond. Okay. Your Honor, this case isn't about whether you or I think that President Trump won or lost the election. It's about what Mr. Floyd believed at the time. It's also what the false statements are alleged to have been. And, and indeed, are they really false? The state chose to open this door. It is a broad and sweeping complaint. They opened the door wide open for us to walk in and ask for these things. You know at trial, they're going to introduce the certification as my colleague notes, and that we should take that because they say so. I do not believe we're required to take what the state says is true and not be able to rebut it or contest it. I could go through each of the counts, but in my, my opposition to their motions to quash, I noted that 17 times it was alleged that President Trump lost the 2020 election, including in Georgia and Fulton County. 49 times they engaged, the defendants engaged knowingly and willfully in various activities to overturn the election because they knew the objects of the conspiracy contained in the introductory paragraphs. They all knew she, that the, the DA says that Trump lost the election. So if it turns out that Trump won, I think it's pretty relevant that we get this information so that we can prove that. I understand they have all these burdens, but I, again, we're not the ones bringing this. We're not trying to relitigate the election. It's the last thing Mr. Floyd wants to do is to come from Maryland all the way down to, to Georgia and defend himself in a criminal case and to, to relitigate the Georgia election. That's not the intent at all. They brought the case. So we have no choice now, but to ask to be able to have a fair opportunity to rebut what they're going to put into evidence, which is their certification. We believe the certification is faulty. And as I said, there's three things that it can show. It can show that President Trump won. It could show we don't know who won. Or if we, we believe the evidence is, is that President Biden won, as I said, it sets up the mistake of fact under the under the code. And and so I guess counsel's point was if if heads you win, tails you win, why do you need the data? That's why it's relevant to to guilt or innocence. It's 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 we believe But what he's saying is you're you're innocent either way. Then it would be material to that fact. Okay. Maybe I'm missing what you're asking me. Well, uh, counsel's argument was that you're saying if it was uncertain or uh, President Trump won at the time, then it's then there's no false statement. But even if he did not win, then it's a mistake of fact. So no matter what, Mr. Floyd is should be. Oh, acquitted. I see. I see. Well, as a, as a, you don't need the data because no matter what, you can make your argument that he's innocent no matter what happened. We could make that argument that he's innocent no matter what happened. And of course, we would. We're defense attorneys. That's what we do. But at the end of the day, 
we're entitled to those are the possible options down the road that could that could arise right now we believe we're at option one that president trump indeed won the election and we can prove it with respect to fulton county sure and in the state of georgia but not nationwide we're not that's not our intent so i just want to stress um the biggest reason for the, the necessity of this request is count one, which you've rightly pointed out is broad and sweeping. It, it, it's, I, I try to limit our, track our request just to address what the indictment is accusing our folks of doing. And I say our folks, I represent Mr. Floyd, but again, count one imputes all the acts of all the other co-defendants against Mr. Floyd. So you've got Donald Trump saying that he won, Rudy Giuliani saying that, that Donald Trump won, You've got other defendants saying that Donald Trump won. There'll be 290 complaints in the Secretary of State's office probably saying we think that Trump won. So we have a right to, to and they're, but they're coming back and they're saying, no, Trump lost. I, I, I don't know how uh, simpler I can put it that we have a right to rebut that, period. They, they opened the door, we didn't. Thank you. Okay, uh, so Mr. Harding, feel free if you want to add some points. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Harding, not, not Mr. Harding. Uh, I, I, yeah, no, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I lost track of our names here. Um, Alexis. Yes, sir. Uh, was there anything you wanted to say in response? Yes, Judge, briefly. I just wanted to note that at the beginning of counsel's argument, he stated that it's not based on what you believe or what he believes, it's about what Mr. Floyd believed at the time when he made the statement. Judge, that goes exactly to the state's argument that it really comes down to what Mr. Floyd believed at the time. So to try to produce this evidence later on to retroactively prove something that happened three years ago, just does not make any logical sense. The next thing is counsel also spoke about the defendants and the RICO violation and all these different things that they did, but based on the indictment judge, as it relates to Mr. Floyd, the only factual allegations is that he led Ms. Freeman to believe that her life was in danger, and he tried to get her to make false statements about events that took place at the State Farm Arena. Well, but count one alleges he's part of a conspiracy and that he furthered the acts of that conspiracy. But based on those acts, though, only based on those allegations, those factual allegations in tandem with the other co-defendants will form the basis of a RICO violation. Therefore, what we have in front of us are just those two factual allegations. We don't have the other things that the other defendants did. We just have these factual allegations. Now, he mentioned that he's entitled to the information. Again, not to beat a dead horse, but there's no, we, we submit that there's no constitutional violation when it comes to evidence in this regard. As a matter of fact, Judge, the Court of Appeals have talked about subpoenas which mask itself as a discovery in that they are simply fishing expeditions and they don't require the specificity to, to show relevance. And that's what we have here. So again, he can make his mistake in fact argument right now based on the official information in front of us as opposed to taking the position that we don't know what happened. He has his option. And I don't think that for him to have three and four different options of a defense should give way to the private information of the citizens of Fulton County. All right, thank you, sir. So I think we're in a similar position where we need to perfect the record and make sure we're clear on exactly what's 
um, being requested and just how burdensome it's going to be if uh, and if and how that can be addressed, if at all. So what I would ask um, the defense is I know on the record now you've pointed out how you're amending the subpoena um, in the similar manner that you sent a letter back to the Secretary of State's office. I'd ask that you do that as soon as you can to uh, the clerk, essentially amending your subpoena based on today's hearing. And then if uh, it would be the same question to the clerk, if we think that by the ninth close of business, we could have a good faith estimate of what it would take to actually respond and compile this information, how many people and, uh, and we'll, uh, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm not sure that we can do that in a week's time simply because the information is way more than what was requested of the state. Like I said, we're looking at documents as it pertains to hundreds of thousands of people. Judge, can I just, sorry to interrupt my colleague. I don't think the ballots have personal identification information on them. We don't know who cast that ballot necessarily. There's no PII. Maybe what the state can do is figure out what documents don't have PII, the personally identifiable information, and then we can tailor things narrowly down from there. The applications do, and if they request in drives and service, we have copies of those applications on those drives and service. And that would be something that we would I could take back and, and, and see whether it's absolutely necessary for us to have that, and if it is, why? Okay. So it sounds like, again, I would like to go down this road. Uh, I, I think on the getting past the threshold issue of, of relevance and just that the request itself is burdensome, I'd like to dig a little deeper. And it sounds like the defense may be t further tailoring their request. And uh, as, so let me start with the defense instead. Uh, how long would it take you to, based on today's hearing and, and kind of the inclinations I've put out there, uh, how long would it take you to send over a revised subpoena? Monday. All right. And from there, uh, we'll just, we'll wait so you have a time to review it and can take a look. And then we'll come back and, and uh, when I come back, we can just follow up by email and you can tell me how long it'll take for you to actually really dig in to each of these requests and say, well, what's going to have PII and what's not. If we were to turn it over with no redactions and just a protective order, what's that going to look like? Alternatively, if we need to go through and make redactions, well, what's that going to look like? Obviously, you know, scenario A, scenario B. And I, I think we need to get into the weeds on it. Can I just play something on the record? Sure. Just for purposes of my client. While the statute requires the clerk to house the information, the individuals who will actually have to go through that information would be the Department of, of Elections within Fulton County. So the clerk would not be the one to actually go through the information, nor her office. She's just the- uh, Interesting. By to house the information. Does the, does the clerk's office have authority over those individuals at all? No, Judge, completely different um, entity. Not to mention the Superior Court clerk is a constitutionally elected officer and the Department of uh, Elections is a department within Fulton County operating at the behest of the Board of Commissioners, meaning that they are separate and distinct entities in that regard. But again, not an issue in terms of the review. I just wanted to make clear that the clerk would not be the one to review the information, it would be the Department of Elections. Okay, uh, I mean, that's interesting. I'm wondering, are you, are you thinking that that affects the 
um, logistics of the subpoena? Do you think they've? Do you think that they've subpoenaed the right person, or are you now saying that we should? This whole argument should instead just be transferred over to the board of elections instead of the clerk's office. No, they, based on the statute and based on the fact that the clerk houses the information, I would say that the subpoena was rightfully issued, uh, unless I receive information as otherwise. I was just making clear on the record that there will be another department that will be involved. So the Department of Registration Elections, they handle all facets of the election, but then when the information has been compiled at the end of the election, they are statutorily required to turn that over to the Superior Court clerk and will be under seal for at least 24 months. Okay. 21 to 500. Uh, so, you know, generally a subpoena it can go to a person and in lieu of them appearing, they're producing something. So maybe we're operating under kind of that hypothetical. We're getting, we're getting very technical here. I'm, I'm wondering if after their response, we could also hear your thoughts on exactly who you think is the right entity and the process if, if that if that complicates how you if someone is ordered to respond uh how that would complicate it based on who's housing and who would actually do the searching and analyzing we'll, we'll put a pin in that and uh, thank you for flagging it and let's just wait for the defense to send over their amended response and then from there we can see who that should actually be directed to and after that we can have that entity to make that determination of everything we've talked about, the redactions, the length of time, the burden under the different hypotheticals. Is that, is that, am I, am I, sometimes I'm, I'm muddled, but is that clear? Okay. But just to, for my clarity, uh, did the court rule that the information requested is relevant or is that also- No, I haven't yet. Uh, but I think to make the total determination, um, I would like to, at the same time, I want to make it a comprehensive ruling. And so- if, if it is relevant, rather than just kind of delaying the response and having to get into the next issue, um, I, I'd like to already have some idea of the, of the, when the statute talks about whether it's burdensome and oppressive, I think all those kind of issues intermingle. And it almost seems from the case law that something could conceivably be, conceivably be relevant, but maybe be so burdensome that it can still be quashed. So to me, they're all kind of mixed up into each other. Uh, and we're still kind of flushing out some of those issues, which everyone can also respond to in, in supplemental briefing if we need to. And if we can just go over the timeline one more time. Uh, right now, we're just waiting for the amended response from the defense, and then we'll we'll hash out the rest of the timeline once we once you have that. But the goal is, I'm hoping we could get a response from you about exactly what a, what this burden would be to you. Um, no later than the end of the month. I know the Secretary of State's office is doing it in a week. I'm hoping maybe y'all can do it in two or three weeks at most, but I'll, I'll wait for direction if you can tell me, because I, I recognize that your request is way more broad than the Secretary of State's, yes, right? Sure. Okay, any thoughts from um, the defense team? Just a concern actually for the, the board. I mean, it's technically still under seal. And if they're gonna look through it, I think the court might have to unseal it at least to let them do an audit or an inventory or whatever they, they need to do if we take for them to- No, I mean, I recognize that. I think that would be part of the comprehensive order that we would do here. So thank you for, for raising that as well. I think that would address in your originally filed motion as well back in September. Okay. I, I, um, I'm not sure if that's exactly the case. 
Uh, but I will look into that. I will respond based on what that amended. Okay. Request. So, you know, we don't want to be shooting from the hip. So, if you know, let's let's take a chance to go back to uh, uh, look at the statutes, take a close look, and and go from there. Okay. Anything else you think we need to have on the record at this point? Or do we have a clear direction of where to proceed? All right. We'll be adjourned. Thank you all. Thank you, Ron. Lawfare No Bull is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution and Goat Rodeo. You can support Lawfare's suite of podcasts by joining our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash lawfare. That's www.patreon.com slash lawfare. You should rate and review Lawfare No Bull wherever you found us. And you should share us on all the social medias. And as always, thanks for listening.